Hey, this is Brett from We Went Fast, and I am going to read for you today The Curious Life of Terry Pratt. Before I do that, I want to talk to you about how I came into this story. It was completely unintended. I was in the offices of Racer X a few years ago, and I, I saw a book on the shelf in Davy Coombs's office, and it said uh, Grand Prix Motocross, the 1972 championship season. And I mean, like you, dear reader, I have seen so many motocross books, so many motorcycle books in my life, and this one just arrested me somehow, and I couldn't put it down. And I started asking questions, and I'd found out that Terry had died in 2012, and, and you couldn't find the book. I tried to find it online. It was nowhere to be found. And I somehow got a hold of his sister and discovered that she had all the books, and so I went out west. Uh, this was three years later. I found myself out in the Mojave Desert where she had all the books just sitting in storage. But more importantly and more interestingly, she had a box of Terry stuff that nobody wanted. She didn't want it. She didn't know what to do with it. And she said, here, uh, you can have it. And it was letters and interviews and personal effects, uh, photos that had never been developed and I brought them all home and started digging through the box and it was a paper trail into this guy's life who had worked at Cycle News for for three decades and, and longer as a, as a stringer, as a freelance journalist uh, like I am. And I just thought, I got to write the story about this guy's life. Uh, he, You probably never heard of him. I had never heard of him until I, I found that book. And the story ended up being one of my favorite stories I've, I've ever written, uh, maybe because I see my, a little bit of myself in Terry. Um, I love what Terry did traveling in Europe in the 1970s. And uh, then he worked at Cycle News in the ad, ad executive. He was the guy who called you up on Monday morning if you were Mr. OEM and saying, do you want a two-page spread or a one-page spread for your win ad in Cycle News? And it ended up being a great story. And I, and I, I enjoyed writing it. And um, I hope you enjoy it, too. Here is The Curious Life of Terry Pratt. The box of cards sat on his desk at Cycle News for over 30 years. Nobody remembers them not being there. The desktop computer didn't replace them, nor did the Palm Pilot, the Blackberry, or smartphone. It wasn't even as sophisticated as a Rolodex system. It was just a plastic box of white cards, each 6 inches by 8 inches, the type your grandmother used to keep track of her recipes. This was how Terry Pratt cataloged his client, contact, and account information during his three-plus decades as an advertising manager in the power sports industry. If Honda or Suzuki or Yamaha won a race on Sunday, he'd thumb through the alphabetized dividers on Monday morning, pull out the card he needed, and call that OEM about placing a win ad. When an account changed, an employee shift, an office move, he inserted the card into a typewriter and tapped out the new information. The cards of his oldest accounts were covered in ink and scribbles. He did it that way his entire career. Pratt wasn't afraid of technology or skeptical of it. He worked on computers for the army in Heidelberg, Germany from 1966 to 1968. He simply had his own ways of being effective. And he clung to his habits, such as the regimented way he managed his voicemail. Hi, it's Terry Pratt. It's Friday, the 6th of September. I'm going out for lunch right now, and we'll be back in the office on Monday, September 9th. In all his years in the working world, Scott Cox never met another person who made daily voicemail message updates, letting callers know exactly when he could and couldn't be reached. Cox bought media for his clients and worked often with Pratt. 
He was an old school ad guy, Cox said. He made himself available and details were very important to him. And he was a human touch kind of guy. He'd send a letter, note, or card, or just pick up the phone and call. He was a very easy guy to say yes to. Pratt's uniform came straight from an Eddie Bauer catalog, and he refreshed it once a year. Solid green and red shirts, khaki pants. He had a go-to blazer for conventions and banquets. He preferred his beers on the warm side, and when the bartender at American Legion Post 555 saw him coming, he'd pull out a few Heinekens from the cooler and set them on the counter. Staunchly grounded in his aversion to email, his co-worker Rhonda Crawford sent messages to clients on his behalf when the communication option became impossible to ignore. Eventually, to the amusement of his friends and clients, he caved. When he saw an email signature with contact info at the bottom of a message, he'd print it out, cut it out, and tape it to the appropriate contact card in his file box. A lifelong bachelor with no kids, Pratt mostly ate out of the house. The glass of milk he ordered with every single meal sat untouched until he cleaned his plate. Then he picked it up and glug, 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 downed the entire glass in one shot. When he set the empty glass on the table, he wiped his mouth and said, ah, with exaggerated satisfaction. Friends recall him as being generous but tight with his money. He wrapped gifts with the pages of leftover issues of Cycle News. At potluck dinners, he'd find out in advance who committed to the laborious process of making the chili, and he volunteered to bring the Fritos. He loved Fritos and his chili. His refrigerator stayed empty, his living room had more motorcycle frames than pieces of furniture, and he used his oven to heat up cylinders for curing paint or to make piston insertion easier. The garage was the tidiest room in the house. Another co-worker, Mark Tomey, said Pratt could have been the perfect case study for Dr. Thomas J. Stanley's 1996 best-selling book, The Millionaire Next Door. But one habit that he strayed from, that every motocross fan is thankful for today, is when he stopped talking about the book he wanted to write and just did it. It only took 35 years, but in 2007, he finally finished it. Terry Pratt published Grand Prix Motocross, the 1972 World Championship season, a 241-page, two-and-a-half-pound coffee table tome filled with more than 300 gorgeous photographs accompanied by race reports and observations. In this large-format book, Pratt's attention to detail shines. His viewpoints and curiosities about the sport, the technology and its characters— make for an enriching read and a worthwhile history lesson on a remarkable time in racing. In 1972, the technology arms race between the factories shifted gears big time. Roger DeCoster successfully defended his first 500cc crown and was on his way to earning the label The Man. Joel Robert won his sixth and final 250cc title, and several Americans, including Mark Blackwell, Brian Kenny, and Billy Clements competed in the 500 class. For 35 years, it stayed in his head, and he wanted to, had to, get it out. He gathered his notepads and race reports, his prints and negatives, and finished the last leg of a journey he started in March 1972. With help from the Cycle News Production Department, Pratt finalized Grand Prix Motocross. Nobody remembers the number of books published or sold, but Kathleen Connor, who worked in CN's production department, remembers seeing the first physical proof. 
The text came out of the manual typewriter that sat on Pratt's desk. He printed the photos and cut and pasted them onto 9 inch by 12 inch pieces of paper. We had to retype everything and put it together digitally, Connor said. That guy was such a character. Pratt died in April 2012, and the book he left behind, that he spent over half his life making, was believed to be out of print and unavailable. Copies occasionally popped up on Amazon or eBay for far more than the original $39.95 retail price. In June of 2019, Terry's unsold stock resurfaced, and we went fast committed to finishing what Pratt started. Supply is limited, and it will never be printed again. But first, more on the curious life of Terry Pratt. There are two ways you can support We Went Fast and help me continue to explore and share what I learn about motocross history. Buy merchandise. For example, this incredible book that Terry Pratt wrote is for sale at wewentfast.com forward slash shop. I have committed to selling the rest of his remaining stock, but it won't be around forever. Supplies are limited, and once they're gone, that's it. That's wewentfast.com forward slash shop. You can also become a sustaining supporter by joining me at patreon.com forward slash wewentfast. That's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash We Went Fast. Patrons of We Went Fast get exclusive content, such as access to my private Vimeo page where I post videos from my historical motocross archives. For just a few bucks a month, you can keep this ride going. In the details. Terry had a knack for observation, wit, and storytelling. He had a thorough and resourceful style and took meticulous notes and used the white space on anything in his pocket in the moment, a hotel notepad or a letter from home. He roamed the paddock and snapped photos, asked questions, and stood back quietly while scenes unfolded in front of him. Pratt wrote down every technical piece of information he could find out about the motorcycles. He tracked the brand of ignitions used, horsepower, bore stroke measurements, bike weight, wheelbase, and so on. He carried an analog stopwatch to track practice lap times. He logged crude lap charts during the motos and wrote down the home addresses of the riders he covered. Around his neck hung a Pentax SLR with Takumar screw mount lenses. He used Kodak's Pan Plus X film, which he developed in hotel room bathtubs. At campgrounds, he used a sink and a change bag. The habit of working with what you had, when and where you had it, probably came from his father, John. Educated through the 8th grade, John Pratt lied about his age and joined the army during World War I. At 16, he went to France where he managed the horses and mules that carried heavy artillery. He also served in the army in World War II. At home, John drove trucks for the borax mines in Boron, California, and used the idle time waiting in line to load or unload for writing and inventing. He once won a Golden Hammer Award from Mechanics Illustrated, but didn't land any patents that made him enough money to quit his job. Terry's mother, Barbara, moved to Boron during the early years of the Great Depression. She was 12, and the mines provided reliable work for her stepfather, Vern. In 1941, at the age of 21, she became the mining town's postmaster. She met John, 22 years her senior, while working at the post office. After his discharge from the Army, they were married. Terry arrived in March 1945, followed by Bill two years later, and a sister Shelley in 1954. 
Bill died of stomach cancer at the age of seven, and Terry spent a year holed up in his room reading the encyclopedia, which undoubtedly contributed to his lifelong thirst for knowledge. Shelley said Bill's death wasn't talked about much, and she didn't even learn about it until many years later. The same year Bill died, Rick Richards moved to Boron and rented a home owned by the Pratts. Terry went with his mother to settle the paperwork and bonded with Richards through talk of sports cars and engines. In their freshman year of high school, the band teacher Don Wilcox picked up a second-hand Sears Allstate. That was the first bike Terry and I got to be around, Richards, now 75, said. They even got to ride it and the BSA Wilcox later bought. That same school year, Clyde Alexander, the school's woodshop teacher, sold Pratt a 200cc dot. They borrowed Terry's grandfather's pickup truck to get the bike. Neither kid had a driver's license, but that didn't stop them from attending District 37 Hare and Hound events to race and spectate. Pratt went to college, first in Ventura, then Bakersfield. His grades were poor, and when the Vietnam War heated up in the mid-1960s, he and his roommate figured they were probably going to flunk out and get drafted, so they enlisted in the Army. He wanted a post in journalism, but for reasons nobody remembers, or never knew, he wound up doing programming in Heidelberg, Germany from 1966 to 68. In his later civilian years, he shunned computers, citing them as the eventual death of print media. Pratt didn't come home during his leave periods. He traveled around Europe instead. Richards believes this was when Terry first experienced international motocross races. After discharge, he served in the reserves from 1968 to 72. He lived in Long Beach, but then chased a girl up to San Francisco, according to Richards. Shelley remembers him working for a bank, trying to make use of the skills he learned in the Army, but he didn't like it and detested the cooler weather even more. Pratt returned to Long Beach and in 1969 became a stringer for Cycle News. He also built relationships at the monthlies, now defunct titles such as Cycle Illustrated and Dirt Cycle. He penned how-to articles about wrenching, riding, and safety gear, wrote bike reviews, previewed competitions, and earned a regular department column he called Prattle. One of his first articles for Cycle News was about DeCoster's San Francisco Interam win at China Camp in November 1969. DeCoster went 1-2-2 on a CZ. Races like these likely gave Pratt the urge to get back to Europe again and report on the GP riders in the most prestigious motocross championship in the world. MXGP Bound In March 1972, just before his 27th birthday, Pratt formed Strawberry Enterprises, official motorsport press representatives. That was the name he gave his freelance writing business. The strawberry referred to the scrapes, rashes, and skid marks riders get on their elbows and knees from wiping out. Pratt and a friend named Volney Howard III were headed to Europe as American correspondents in the World Motocross Championships. He sold his car and asked his teenage sister to house sit. In hindsight, you could say Pratt had poor timing. Motocross racing in the United States surged in popularity in 1972. The movie On Any Sunday made its way around the country from the previous summer's theatrical release and enjoyed another boost in attention when the Academy nominated it for an Oscar in the Best Documentary category. The first official AMA Pro Motocross Championship Series started that March also. And in Southern California, 
a cocksure rock promoter put on one hell of a summer show. Mike Goodwin brought motocross into the L.A. Coliseum. Or, it was great timing. As Pratt points out in his book, the 1972 Grand Prix season marked a turning point in motocross history. European brands still dominated the results sheets, but Yamaha joined Suzuki in the 500GP record books. The Japanese brands had started a development wave so powerful that the FIM changed the rules for 1973. Minimum weight restrictions were enforced, and 1972 marked the final opportunity to see full titanium frames, carburetors made of magnesium, and 500cc machines that weighed under 190 pounds. Also, Joel Robert and Paul Friedrichs were at the end of their legendary careers, DeCoster and Heike Mikola still close to the beginning, and pioneering American riders made their first international dent in the domination of European athletes on their own continent. Pratt left for Europe with a few 100-foot rolls of film, a cassette loader, his Pentax, four lenses, and enough money to buy a Volkswagen Westfalia camper. After 12,000 hard miles, the camper blew up one night on the Autobahn. Volney also shot photos, and his photography appears in the book, too. I remember that I liked both of those guys, and they were really cool, DeCoster said. They were easy to do an interview with. Some journalists were a pain in the butt. I know I felt different about them two guys. I liked the style of writing and looked up to them with respect. Pratt visited the homes of the riders, the Mako factory, the Husqvarna factory, international races outside of the MXGP season, and filed articles and photos to publications back in the States. On May 6, he sent a postcard home from Italy. He and Volney camped on a beach in San Remo. He said he was... Broke, but I have a new typewriter, a radio for the car, a tent, and Volney still has money until I get a paycheck. From there, they drove to the 250 GP in Czechoslovakia. On May 29th, from a Western Union in Heidelberg, West Germany, he sent a telegram home to his mother. We are well, but broke. Wire all money immediately. For unexplained reasons, Pratt and Volney missed several GPs in May and June. They skipped the 250 GPs in Yugoslavia and Poland, the 500 GPs in France and Czechoslovakia, and both GPs in Russia. One of them had a conflict with another race. Maybe money troubles caused their absence. Or maybe their one trip behind the Iron Curtain for the 250 GP in Czechoslovakia rattled them. Pratt endured a stressful border crossing. He told his friend Rick Richards that he sat for hours with a cocked M60 machine gun pointed at his head. That really upset him, Richard said. But he said the people on the other side of the border were really nice. In the book, Pratt writes about the Russian tanks rolling into Prague in 1968 and how they never left. At a party, he spoke to a Czech soldier and got him to admit that because he was in the military, he had to say he liked the Russians. Then he patted his heart and said that none of the Czechs had any love for the Russians in general. Forever 1972 after the Trophy des Nations in Genk, Belgium in September, Pratt returned home and continued to file stories for motorcycle magazines. He went back to Europe in the summer of 1973 and covered Brad Lackey's first year on the 500 World Motocross Circuit. In 1974, he worked on behalf of Husqvarna East in Lorain, Ohio. His mission consisted of writing race reports and sending back technical information on the bikes to the dealers in the United States. 
In a letter to Brad and Lori Lackey, dated May 16, 1974, Pratt said, I'm going to spend the summer having a good time and watching you score lots of points, Brad. With a little luck, maybe I can score a few points myself, if you know what I mean. If only typewriters had blush face emojis. According to other papers found seven years after his death, evidence of plans for a motocross annual surfaced. Pratt had sold countrywide publications on the idea of a one-shot magazine. The special issue about the 1973 World Motocross GP season was slated to feature season reviews and exclusive interviews with Roger DeCoster, Joel Robert, Hakan Anderson, and more. Pratt built an outline, typed and submitted the stories, and even sent in a $1,400 invoice, half of the agreed-upon final total. After inflation, $2,800 equals over $15,000 today. The annual never happened. The $1,400 never got paid. Pratt went back and forth for months with his editor, Gregory J. Gore. Gore's publisher moaned of a paper shortage and told him they were losing money on all these cycle books, so... The oil crisis ended in the spring of 1974, but fell in the middle of a stock market skid that saw the Dow Jones lose 45% of its value in a nearly two-year period. It was a bad time to sell almost anything. Gore informed Pratt of the news in a letter dated March 26, 1974. The 1973 GP reviews were dead, and the interviews were at risk of going stale because the 250 season started on April 7th and the 500 season April 21st. The interviews were pieced out and published in 1974 issues of Dirt Cycle, but not all of them went to print. Pratt kept the manuscripts, and they'll be used in a future We Went Fast piece, which is already in the planning stages. While Pratt traveled around Europe in 1974, his mother Barbara sent him a letter to inform him that he'd failed his test to obtain a real estate license. His career shift succeeded in the late 1970s when he got an advertising gig at Hester Communications on their Bicycle Dealer Showcase magazine. In 1979, Pratt rejoined Cycle News as a sales manager and ended his career 32 years later as national accounts manager. Throughout the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, Pratt managed almost every OEM win ad that spread across the pages of America's weekly motorcycle newspaper. Outside of ad sales, Pratt spent his free time trolling swap meets for parts to rebuild his growing stable of vintage dirt bikes. Vintage for him, however, was pre-1974. Pratt raced vintage motocross long before it became a vogue activity. He won regional and national championships. In 1989, the California Vintage Racing Group joined the American Historic Racing Motorcycle Association, ARMA, to form an entirely new member-owned national organization to promote historic racing. Pratt had influence in the deal and joined ARMA's first board of trustees along with racing legend Dick Mann. While Pratt stayed busy selling ads, buying, restoring, and racing vintage bikes, the contents of a file cabinet in his office tugged at him. The friends he met after 1972 like to say they can remember him working on that book for as long as they knew him. He spent a dozen years pecking away at it on and off with the CN production staff. He chose his photos very carefully, said Mark Tomey. Each one had something to say about the historical significance of the sport. Each photo almost tells a volume of a story. Cycle News laid Pratt off in 2011. 
That August, Scott Cox helped Pratt launch a website to continue selling the seminal book. I want to sell these books and I don't care how long it takes to do it, and I'm not going to discount them, Cox recounts Terry saying when he asked for some e-commerce help. In late February 2012, Pratt received a stage 4 pancreatic and liver cancer diagnosis. In March, a friend took him to get the ports inserted for chemotherapy treatments, but he didn't make it to the first appointment. Surrounded by family and friends, Pratt died at home on April 15, 2012. Friends, collectors, and enthusiasts bought up his motorcycles and parts. Julian Hepikhausen, CEO of culture brand Deus Ex Machina, bought Pratt's last build, a 1966 Triumph T120, and raced it in events in Germany and France in 2014 and in the Mexican 1000 in 2016. He credited the bike's durability to Terry's attention to detail and the careful manner in which he rebuilt all his machines. Among other classic models, Pratt also left behind four complete and period-perfect BSA Gold Stars and a 200cc Dot, a similar version of the first bike he owned, which he was in the middle of restoring. The rest of his motorcycle memorabilia, papers, and photos got scattered to friends and collectors. The books got left behind. If you made it this far, I will assume you enjoyed the curious life of Terry Pratt. I took great pride in telling Mr. Pratt's story. I never met Terry, but his reporting style, attention to detail, drew me in. The story was told... This story was told through interviews with his remaining family and friends and personal effects I found from visiting Boron, California. If you're interested in getting a copy of Terry's book, go to wewentfast.com forward slash shop. And if you want to help keep We Went Fast ad free, join me at patreon.com forward slash we went fast. That's patreon.com forward slash we went fast.